Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good, good. Um, so I, it is my turn to pose a overrated, underrated question your way today. Yes. So um, yeah, this one may come a little out of left field, but it's been a, I, I was thinking about questions that I get asked quite frequently by clients. And this one definitely arises uh, frequently. And I wanted to see what your take on, uh, on the issue was. So the, the thing I w- was interested in, in hearing from you about was the issue of awards and rankings and whether those are overrated or underrated. So I know in you know, legal services, there's been an explosion of, I guess, awards and directories and all of that, that some pay for play, some not, um, you know, various levels of, uh, I guess, um, credibility for each organization, that kind of thing. Um, and we, you know, in the marketing field, we have the same thing to an extent. I mean, awards are a big deal. Um, and so I wanted to see what you think about uh, awards and rankings. Hmm. That is a toughie because I'm sort of of two minds. Let me just talk it out, see if I could come up with an answer. On the one hand, I think they're somewhat overrated because if you know the business model behind them, it's just a, a way, an avenue to ultimately sell some some form of advertising or, you know, tables at a banquet or something like that. So in just about everyone gets one. So in the era of participation trophies, I'm not overly impressed. That said, you know, if all of your competitors are boasting of this award and this recognition and you are not, does it leave an impression that maybe you weren't qualified for the recognition? I don't know. Um, I think as I talk through it where I'm landing, is they're somewhat overrated. Um, I'm not going to completely dismiss their value wholesale, but I think they're a little bit overrated. And I might be swayed by the fact that I've had sort of the inside the sausage factory look at how some of those work. So that's all I'll say. Um, It's like, I'll go overrated. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I definitely think they're overrated. Um, I mean, I think there's a, there are a few that probably uh, are, fairly prestigious and, and merit-based that, so it's, it really comes down to, I think, to kind of applying the 80, 20 rule to, you know, which ones you pursue, not falling victim to FOMO and feeling like you've got to um, grab every award that's available. And I don't think clients care all that much about them. Honestly, I think it's more of a ego thing for, for many people. So, um, and if, I think if you ask most in-house uh, legal marketers, they would say, definitely say overrated. There's way too much time spent by way too many marketing departments just trying to fill out the massive submission forms associated with these uh, awards and, and chasing them on behalf of a firm or their attorney. So um, I'm with you, overrated as well. I would definitely agree, by the way, that there's a ton of work that goes into those. And the benefit that you get from it does not equal, but you're also talking to a guy who, um, when he watches the Grammys, doesn't recognize a single artist and all of the music that I love never gets the recognition it deserves. So just awards and recognitions generally to me, I think are overrated. So I'd love to get our guests, uh, opinion on this as well. So maybe we could, for the first time ever pose the overrated underrated to the guest as well. Yeah, I think we'll do that. Um, so that's a good transition to welcome, 
welcoming our guest to the show. So uh, Philip Russell is joining us today. And Philip is a board certified OSHA and employment lawyer with Ogletree Deacons. In his national practice, he has represented clients in construction and other industries and hundreds of OSHA inspections, including over 125 high stakes fatality cases. He's an avid scuba diver and spear fisherman who doesn't worry about sharks. They leave him alone out of professional courtesy. And uh, Philip, I, I've got to give you credit for that last line. Obviously, I, di I didn't write that, but, um, but I love it. And so, Philip, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. And yeah, that, that always gets a, a laugh or a chuckle or two at seminars. Uh, and it's true, I die, if I spearfish, I go with non-lawyers. And uh, <laughs> it probably doesn't work as well as I think it does, but I've convinced myself it works. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Um, so, you know, to Tom's point, uh, I, when, as I was posing the question to Tom about overrated, underrated as it relates to awards and rankings, I saw you were, you were kind of motioning and, and seemed like you had an opinion you perhaps wanted to share. So what's your take on that? Yeah, I think overrated. I don't think clients make decisions on, those ba on, on the basis of those, uh, those you know, marketing recognition plaques hanging on the wall. I think it's more reputation and results. And I don't think those drive either one of those. But, you know, Tom had a good point that if everybody else is doing it, you got to do it. I would just urge folks uh, to uh, minimize the time you put into them. Uh, don't uh, don't overvalue. So I go with under I would go with overrated. OK, good. We've got a consensus maybe for one of the first times. So that's yeah. great. Uh, well, let's talk about something that I think does matter. And I, I think you would share this opinion because I think you're 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 actually living this strategy. Um, in terms of building your practice. And that is the importance of having a niche. And a niche is an issue that we talk about quite a bit, you know, how you position yourself and your practice and, and how that can benefit you from, um, you know, sort of a narrow focus to uh, how you are marketing yourself and the work, type of work you're doing. So, Philip, I, you, you definitely have a niche. I described it a little bit in your bio, but can you talk a little bit about what that is um, for you and your practice? And um, then we can maybe get into how you see that as a benefit uh, to growing a legal practice. Sure, and, and the imagery I'll use with you is the inverted pyramid. So at the bottom of the inverted pyramid, where I am most valuable to clients is in the area of those high stake fatality cases. Uh, as you mentioned, it's somewhere in the 125 plus case range. I probably should go back and do an accurate count, but it's in that range. I've got eight open matters right now with uh, several very high profile cases. And that's a niche I've developed over mostly the last 10 years of my 26 years of practicing employment law. And so I went from that niche of labor and employment lawyer to OSHA, which is itself a niche within labor and employment. And within OSHA, my specialty really is in the construction industry with high stakes fatality cases. And so especially among a lot of big national construction employers, I am their go-to lawyer for these moments, for these crises, these tragedies that strike uh, I bring a lot of certainty, clarity, experience. I know where it's hockey season, the lightning in the playoffs. I know where the puck is going, uh, or at least can, uh, can, can at least bring some judgment from the experience of having the best guess of where the puck is going. So that's the, the sort of the triple niche I've talked about was employment law, down to OSHA law, into construction. I'll, I'll give you another version of the triple niche, which is uh, OSHA law into construction, and within construction, it's the niche of transportation construction industry. Road and bridge builders really do comprise a large segment of my clients. 
and, and it's not to say, and you've said this before, Jay, and, and, and I'll just tell everybody now, you're my coach and you've done an outstanding job of helping me with that process and with LinkedIn we'll talk about, but you and I have spoken about the value of that niche many times, but in the transportation construction industry where I focus a lot of time, it doesn't mean I can't help a manufacturer or a utility plant or others, um, but it does mean to the construction industry that you don't have to explain to me what your business is all about. Philip, I'm curious if you could expound on that a little bit, because if there's one thing that Jay and I, as coaches and as marketing consultants, if there's anything we get resistance to, it's this concept of focusing and narrowing, because, you know, obviously the inclination is, or the fear is that, what am I missing out on if I narrow my focus too narrowly and too niche? But I mean, you've triple niched. So can you share what some of the benefits have been with the audience who might be like resistant to it and just needs to hear it again from a real world example? Why go so narrow? Yeah, Tom, years ago, I really wanted to narrow my focus and be uh, an OSHA lawyer um, and just really make that my lead, my niche, that bottom level, that triple niche. And I resisted for that exact reason, because every lawyer I think has that anxiety or that angst of, and my wife says it all the time, I am the king of FOMO, the fear of missing out. And that's true in my social life, it's true in family, and it's true in my practice. And, and it's a real thing. So you just have to deal with it. And I will credit Jay with this because, uh, you know, when I started the LinkedIn postings, uh, he just said, just start it, just try it, just give it a whirl and see what happens. The process resulted in me being able to say yes to more things I wanted to work on and no to more things that I really didn't want to work on. I've handled scores and scores and scores of employment discrimination cases. I don't necessarily personally need to handle those anymore. I have fantastic colleagues in my firm who are really, they've done more than I have. They, they are better than I am. And so I think it really is a matter of having to tame a bit of the lawyer ego of, you know, trying to be, I, I've never tried to be a construction lawyer, contracts lawyer, transactional lawyer. I've always been an employment lawyer. Um, but even in that world, it's hard to be an everything to everyone in labor and employment. And even in Ogletree, a lot of our, a lot of my colleagues, their lead specialty is in a niche within labor and employment. We have our traditional labor practice group. We have our immigration lawyers. Um, our OSHA practice group is one of the most dynamic in the country. Um, and then within discrimination, we have lawyers that specialize in things like reasonable accommodations and leave issues and and we have some fantastic warriors that do that. And even within our OSHA practice group, we have my friends Karen, uh, Karen Tynan and Kevin Bland in California that are Cal OSHA lead lawyers. So I think at some point, the biggest benefit for me has been the ability to just get razor sharp focus. And here's the thing, you really can be that go-to lawyer for a, 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 it's a fewer number, but you'll find the demand is bigger because clients really do want the vertical and the horizontal specialty. Yeah. And Philip, I would just to follow up on that a little bit. Um, I would think that, you know, we, I think that the issue of narrowing down um, is oftentimes discussed in the context of how it can benefit someone from a marketing standpoint, right? You, you focus uh, exclusively or at least primarily on a particular market, horizontal, vertical, um, a particular industry, for example, 
And as a result of that focus, you're more visible to that industry. Um, people come to know you, trust you, and hire you as a result. But I think there's a, you know, there's also a huge benefit just to um, building expertise too, right? When you're staying in your lane and you're dealing with the same types of clients with the same types of issues, you really are. There's the concept called like being in your power zone. Um, you're really building that expertise at a rate that's much faster and um, more powerful than you could otherwise if you were spreading yourself thin. Have you found that to be the case too, where it's like all, all of a sudden the, you know, the, the basics of your practice become just instinctive and you can, you can kind of move up to deal with more complex, more creative solutions, um, more complex problems, that kind of thing. So kind of that dual benefit of not only becoming a more effective marketer, but becoming a more effective lawyer as a result of that focus. I, I am a way better OSHA lawyer than I am an employment lawyer. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and it's not the, and, but I'm also a better OSHA lawyer because I've had a broader experience in employment law. Mm -hmm. You know, I can, there was a, a decision handed down today by one of our OSHA judges that, you know, brought in some employment law concepts I'm very familiar with. So it really helps make me be a better advisor and counsel to lawyers. But I'll give you guys an example. I recently had the in-house lawyer at a, a big national construction company, you know, really, you know, commend the focus that I've developed. Uh, and what he said was, you know, he likes the passion. He likes the focus. He likes the experience. I don't have to look up much of anything unless it's some weird nuanced issue. And, um, you know, he, the only thing he lamented was that I don't do anything else but OSHA. And, uh, you know, it, uh, and I, I, you know, I said to him, I said, well, I'm happy to be your go-to OSHA guy. Let's just keep it at that. And, and I'm okay with that. I don't have to be everything to that company. You know, of course, I'm going to try and pitch them on some, you know, employment law stuff for the rest of what Ogletree does. Of course I will. Um, but I also find that, you know, as in this niche, my trust level with clients is higher. So even outside employment law, to, to any of your audience that are considering this, I think if you want to get to a higher level of trust, I think niche gets you there. You know, think about it in the medical world. We all go to doctors, but you don't go to your general practice person for a surgeon. You guys have heard this example a million times. And it's so true in the law as well. Clients want expertise in their industry. And when you're that person, you get to the highest level of trust. And I often work with CEOs that otherwise would never get involved in an employment case because they just look at it as more of a, it's a commodity practice. It's competitive. You know, while we're at it, there's a financial benefit to being a niche guy. I mean, higher rates, mm -hmm. you know, people, you know, you know, th there's value in doing something that very few other people do. And uh, you just don't have collection issues involved either. You know, clients, you know, clients are happy to pay it. You got to provide the value. But that's what niche does is your value, even though your rates are higher, your value is higher than your rate. It's a lot easier than going out there and competing, you know, with other employment lawyers where, you know, 80% of that might be covered by EPLI coverage. There's no insurance in what I do either. Yeah. yeah. Nobody, nobody goes out and says, Hey, does anyone know a good family doctor that's dabbled in brain surgery before? Cause I want it to be affordable. Right. <laughs> so th there's your analogy. So I agree. So, um, so we, can we shift over to LinkedIn as a strategy real quick? So I understand you at one point were the I think was probably typical amongst our audience that they would occasionally post on LinkedIn. And then Jay, I'm sure coached you into the value of being a daily poster as he is. So I'm curious what you've noticed uh, as outcomes of that and how have you approached LinkedIn differently and what impact have you seen? 
So I started it on, on February 4th was the first day I started posting and every day decided to post something about OSHA. And it primarily has been focused on OSHA inspections because right about that time I had three major fatality cases happen back to back to back. And some, a lot of my postings really were from field experiences. So that's why the, the most popular one, and it's not viral like, you know, Jay's 100,000 plus uh, John Grisham post, but hey, I got 10,000. I was very impressed by my 10,000, but it was the mm -hmm. dirty steel toe boots post. Uh, and it was because I was on my way to a construction site and I just happened to be looking down at my boots and realized, wow, I've done this a lot. And this is an important part of how I do what I do. Yes, there are other OSHA lawyers, but you know, what I like to say is that we wear boots and jeans more than coats and ties. Uh, and that's really true because when you get out there and you talk to folks on the job site who just lost a friend, or just lost a coworker, you need to be able to relate to folks and to go in there with a coat and tie just misses the point. And I just thought it said a lot about who I am, who, how I do what I do and what I do uh, more than if I were to just post legal issues related to OSHA. So it turns out my postings really are very practical. You know, OSHA's got its field operations manual. I don't know that there is such a thing for, for, uh, for businesses. You know, maybe my postings will turn into that. Jay's talked about that. Maybe it's a possibility. But it really does become a, a go-to. And some of the folks that have followed me on LinkedIn have said they've modified their policies and procedures based on some of the postings that I've put up about OSHA inspections, how to prepare witnesses, how to debrief witnesses, how to interact with the compliance officer that's on site for OSHA. So it really, it's allowed me a chance to, and Tom, maybe this is the biggest benefit, is that it allowed me to test out that niche because I still have that anxiety. I still have fear of missing out. But what I've seen is I get now over a thousand reads a day for my posts, uh, which blows me away. I don't know a thousand people. Uh, and I think it's fantastic to have that kind of audience reading and a lot of engagement, a lot of comments, and it really validates for me that there is a high demand with a narrow focus. So for me, it was validation. That's the biggest takeaway is validation of that niche focus. Yeah, and I imagine, uh, I mean, if I look out, Philip, and I, I pay attention to what people are doing within the legal industry on LinkedIn, because it's a big part of our job, um, but you know, I'm not aware of anyone who kind of owns that niche on LinkedIn. I mean, there are certain lawyers who I think have are using LinkedIn in the way that you are to kind of just reinforce, you know, create that instant positive association between their name and the type of work they specialize in. And that's the beauty of posting as consistently as, as you do. You know, when I think Philip Russell, and I think what many other people are starting to think as well is, OSHA, right? And if you think Laura Frederick, you think commercial contracts, like the people that are out there posting on that consistent basis are really reinforcing their niche in a way that they become, you know, they become literally the, the person people think of and, and they're top of mind when a particular legal issue comes up. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, have you seen commensurate with the activity um, you've been undertaking uh, an uptick in things like, you know, growing your network and people interacting with you, that kind of thing? Well, I have. Um, and so number one, actually, I should say this, I actually, because you know, people want to know this sort of thing. I actually can point to dollars in the door based mm -hmm. on these postings. Uh, I know that I was in competition for one particular high profile case 
that the client uh, was deciding, trying to decide between me and another lawyer, um, went to uh, our firm profile pages, then went to LinkedIn, looked up profile, but then saw my postings, and I'm told that made the difference. Uh, so it really validated that I am, a, I am a deep dive expert, niche, niche, niche down into the industry and to the subject matter. Um, I have been invited on that. So that's one thing. So I've been invited on some podcasts, uh, you know, not only you guys, but a couple of safety professionals. Uh, I've done two and I've got one coming up that have their own safety focused podcasts. I've gone on those. That was a blast. I uh, enjoyed that. Um, I have, uh, I think, I, I don't know if I've been invited for any in live speaking opportunities. I think we're starting to find our way back into those. I do a lot of that already. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how much my schedule will fill up with those, but probably more. Uh, but definitely seeing that. I mean, most important has been just really that personal branding. And I want to emphasize that part, too. It's not just it's really if you read my postings, there's not a whole lot of law that's on its face in the postings. Now, there's a lot of law behind the postings mm-hmm. and a lot of experience. But I think it's as lawyers, I think we do best when we take that complicated mess of a legal system and make it simple. So every day I try to think about telling a story and making it simple and actionable. Those are really three things that I try to strive for every day. Storytelling is hugely effective. So um, I want to hear one quick story, if you don't mind, because Jay shared a couple with me. One you already alluded to, which was the dirty steel toe boots. But what about um, this construction trailer coffee story? What's that? (laughs) I I, I was at a construction trailer at a job site, one of these, uh, these high profile cases. And I saw the, the pot of coffee sitting there, took a picture of it. I don't know what compelled me to do it other than I, I really enjoy what I do. And I know that I help people. And that's really been the other underlying facet of why I do my LinkedIn posts is because I know I'm helping people and I'm helping, you know, maybe a thousand people a day if they get something from it. But on that job site, when I saw that pot of coffee and I realized it's not a $5 Starbucks cup of coffee. It's not my favorite boutique coffee joint in Dunedin, Florida. It's none of that. It's construction. Tra- and who drinks construction trailer coffee? Well, the men and women who are tougher than I am, who are out building roads and bridges and buildings. And that's what they drink every day. And they love it. And it's delicious. And for that day, it just tasted better than ever before. Hmm. That's why I posted it. So it really was all about that. And it, nothing to do with the law, nothing to do with an inspection other than just giving a shout out and a salute to those men and women who are tougher than I am. I bet you got a lot of reactions though. For someone like me who I thrive on diner coffee, like the greasier the spoon, the better the coffee. So what kind of reactions did you get? They were were funny. I mean, I not only got some, some comments posted to that one, but I also got some text messages and a couple of phone calls from friends who were just laughing and they thought it was, you know, it it showed, I mean, it showed my character, you know, just who I am as a, as a person and as a lawyer you know, I want to be authentic and approachable, you know, as best I can. And you know, we, we're in a tough profession and it'll beat you up and it'll chew you up and spit you out if you're not careful. So, you know, I try to advise folks to try to be your own person. And so that just gave me a chance to, to show a little bit about who I am. And, you know, I, I know I'm not for everybody. You know, some clients are going to want a lawyer's lawyer, coat and tie, ivory tower, and plenty of those. I'm just not that guy. Yeah. Philip. One of the things I think maybe you can just expand upon a little bit, uh, but you know, I know one of the things that stops many lawyers from um, creating as much content like, uh, and, or engaging as much on LinkedIn as you do is the, the classic problem of you know, overanalyzing and overcomplicating something, which, which uh, you know, us lawyers have a tendency to do. 
Um, and so as a result, you know, the, the notion of posting as consistently as you do on LinkedIn um, seems a bit overwhelming. Um, they want to maybe map out like, all right, well, what am I, if I was going to post every day, I want to plan out my all 30 posts. So I know what I'm going to be doing, but it's sort of implicit in what you're saying is that your posts are coming to you a little more organically, I would say. And, and, and it really just, you know, I don't think you're necessarily mapping out your strategy over, you know, a long term. You're really paying attention to what's happening in your day-to-day -day experience. Is that a fair way to describe it? That is spot on, Jay. I have no plan. Period. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't. I have no, I have not mapped out. Uh, I have not decided, you know, sometimes the morning of, sometimes I'll write the post the night before if something really strikes me. Um, I, I always leave my mind open, but I've also realized that, you know, I, I posted a couple of days ago about settlement agreements with OSHA because I was looking at one on my desk and I thought, wow, this would be helpful to share with my audience about exculpatory clauses and settlement agreements. Yeah, now I'm getting a little technical and legal and less practical, but it was a practical piece of advice if you're selling a citation with OSHA. And it just hit me that would be something that's helpful. And it got really strong reviews or really strong views, I should say. So it really is, Jay. I mean, I, I wish I could say I had a plan. Maybe somebody more organized than I am would come up with a plan. Um, but I also think that the value that I provide is that it's not planned. I think your audience might tune out if they know what's coming. Uh, and I think if I know what's coming, it's less authentic. So I like to write. Now, one, one thing I'd say my colleagues have said though on that similar point is some have uh, you know, given me a little bit of heat for sharing our trade secrets. <laughs> so, um, and that's been funny, but and they're right. I probably have. There probably are some trade secrets uh, that I've shared out there, but uh, if I'm being helpful to the audience and helping somebody be safer in the workplace uh, or deal with OSHA, uh, then I'm fine with that. What you just said, I think is hugely important because, and I think it tracks back to why you don't have a plan or, or the benefit of maybe not having a plan. I think sometimes people try to map their behaviors to a specific outcome that benefits themselves, say a piece of business. And in doing so, they engineer their posts, whether they're doing this, you know, on purpose or not to elicit that outcome as opposed to just help people and be authentic and share a story about a coffee pot. Right. And so I, yeah, I'm a planner, but I'm an advocate for it being authentic in the way that your posts are resonating with people because you're not trying to use it as a business development tool, but it's resulting in dollars and cents. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that's just the way it happens, isn't it? It is. I had a uh, consulting friend this morning ask me about my post and he said, uh, have you ever once said, if you need any help with this issue, call me? And I said, no. And I don't think you should either. I don't think anyone should. I mean, the goal, do this if you want to help people. Mm. If you do it to get business, don't do it, would be my advice. And I think you guys wanted to know that. What's my one piece of advice? Do it if you authentically, legitimately really want to help your audience, your target audience. If you're just doing it to get business, go do something else. Um, because, yes, I've gotten business from it, but it wasn't because I sat down and said, I want to get $100,000 worth of revenue out of this. That's not what happened. It was, I want to wake up every day and think of 15, and all it takes is 15 minutes. I want to take 15 minutes of my day and do what I can to help people. How can I help the most people? LinkedIn has been the answer for me.
Awesome. Well, Philip, I can't think of a better place to maybe wrap this up today than, than that. I can't, couldn't agree more. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a leap of faith to some extent and it requires patience, but you've described exactly what I think the approach to all forms of marketing really should be, which is kind of that, that generosity mindset paired with patience and expertise. And, and you'll, you know, you'll, without trying, you'll generate uh, results for yourself from doing so. Well, before you let me go, I'm going to give you guys a shameless plug because you may not do it yourselves, but uh, your coaching, Jay, has been tremendously helpful to me in this process. So uh, I will consider this my ringing endorsement to be shared as you wish. But, uh, you know, I've used various coaching. I, I'm open to coaching and open to growth all throughout my career. And I've been working with UJ now for about a year, I believe. And, uh, and I appreciate the coaching. It's helped tremendously. So to your audience, I would say get a coach and give Jay a look. <laughs> and I may forget to edit out that shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, that, but, that one, that's staying in, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> but we appreciate it, Philip. Yeah. All right, well, guys. Thank you much. Yeah. Thank you, Philip. Appreciate it very much. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us today. And please come back next week for another episode. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.